We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic, the host of a new narrative podcast called The Play Callers, a series about innovation, competition, and even self-destruction within the NFL's youngest coaching family. The Play Callers will take listeners inside some of the brightest minds in football like you've never heard them before. Featuring exclusive interviews with Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, and many others. The entire series will be out on Monday, July 10th on the Athletic Football Show podcast feed. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. In the first half of today's episode, Rich and I break down the Sixers game three loss to the Boston Celtics. In the second half of the episode, we talk to Pennsylvania governor and longtime Philadelphia 76ers fan, Josh Shapiro. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I am doing fine. The Sixers, not so much, though. Not not as fine. So this will be a two-part podcast. First half of it will be a discussion about the Sixers' 114-102 to loss in Game 3 to fall behind two games to one to the Boston Celtics. Second part, we will have on Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro to talk about his fandom and Sixers for Celtics and his memories of this rivalry and all that. I will say if you hear that and you're you're concerned, we don't really get into politics too much. It's mostly a discussion with Sixers fan Josh Shapiro, not Governor Josh Shapiro, but that is how the podcast will be structured. <sighs> yeah, it was great oh, to talk to Josh. That was that yeah, was no, awesome. That was, I, I that think... was fun. The Embiid MVP ceremony, like there was fun stuff. There was fun stuff. Uh, yeah, when the governor says he wants to talk to you or is willing to talk to you i think yeah we say yeah we say yes you know no, look, look when somebody with um you know pardon and commutation power says hey i'd <laughs> like to talk to you about the sixers you say yeah no i'll make some time and you never look you're playing a long game you never know when you might need i'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding and for those who are too down in the dumps he's like a real sixers fan like yeah. he's like bemoaning ben simmons is stuff and he's it's he, he pays I'm, a lot of attention if i'm being honest that was part of the reason that we you know because we had actually talked about having him on beforehand it was in the lead up to the election i think we we're a little bit uncomfortable with that but i had interest in sort of like gauging his sixers fandom and i think with a lot of the questions that we asked 
it was, you know, not necessarily specific because you wanted to give him the opportunity to prove himself as a fan, not put him on, on the spot to test him per se. But I think he showed that he is pretty deep in the weeds on this incredibly frustrating, talented, but frustrating Sixers team. Okay, let's get into that. Let's do 75% of this on the game and, and 25% on the MVP ceremony because it was pretty awesome. That do game. You start what? or end on a high note? Which I want to end. On, I want to end on a high okay. note. So that means we're going to start with the game, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Look, I don't think the Sixers are done yet. I think by winning that first game in Boston, they gave themselves some margin for error. That margin for error is now gone. gone yeah. But they have they have used it up. And uh, look, I, I I certainly don't think the Sixers should like the way this is trending. But they are still only down two one. You win on Sunday. It's a uh, it's a two two series. That said, that was a a really really disappointing effort. Yeah. In part because I didn't even think the Celtics were like awesome. I thought they, I thought they were awesome in terms of their execution and their hustle. I guess my point is, you were gonna need the Sixers the three point shooting to tilt in the Sixers' favor, and it did last night. It did in kind of a big way, and the game was just played on Boston's terms. From literally the start, when they get all those rebounds and they run the ball down yep. the court, to how hard they made James Harden and Joel Embiid work, it was a, a disappointing effort, and the Sixers are going to have to be a lot better. Uh, bef- I guess that's my overall takeaway before we get into the specifics. Yeah. No, the way the way it sort of hit me is this is just sort of like a very toxic relationship, where like you have two people, and they might be good people on their own, but they have fears or anxieties or habits that just feed off the other person's fears and anxieties. And next thing you know, you're the worst version of yourselves. Boston is a flawed team, but what they do well plays off of what the Sixers can't do. And what they also do well on the defensive side of the court takes away some of what the Sixers can do. And the end result is it ends up, even if the two teams are relatively close, it ends up being a very frustrating game of basketball to watch. And the way that You know, you mentioned the Sixers won a shooting battle, and they certainly did. They shot 16 of 37 from three compared to 16 of 45, 43% to 36%. But Boston being able to get up 45 threes pretty consistently, to me, is one of the defining characteristics of this series. And the way that they were able to get into early offense and put the Sixers in rotation, the way they were able to beat their man off of the dribble, and again, put the Sixers in rotation— the Sixers aren't very good in rotation. I don't know if you've noticed all year, but when they have to cover ground, when they have to rotate, when they have to communicate, when they have to close out, they tend to make mistakes. And the Sixers here over the last couple of games, even if Boston hasn't capitalized on any of them, the fact that Boston can get the Sixers into rotation so reliably and make the passes and the crisp decisions that can feed off of that, what they do is just so much easier than what the Sixers do, especially when your second best scorer refuses to take the easy shots. It's uh, at which I guess we'll get to in a second. But when I went back and rewatched it this morning, it's almost look Harden and the way he turned into Ben Simmons, Atlanta Hawks version of Ben Simmons is startling and it's the headline and it has to be the headline. But I think overall, it's just they're they're able to take advantage of the Sixers weaknesses pretty consistently. And it's distressing. Yeah, I think the key word there is easier. Yeah. It's it's a lot easier what they do versus what the Sixers do. Okay, let's get into it. What Harden? Yeah, uh, it's crazy that in a game where or in a series, a three game series, 
a three-game sample size in which he has played maybe the best playoff game of his long-ass career at this Followed point. Followed by he's the two worst. I think he's probably below water on the series. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. It's wild. I mean, that was... That's awful. Horrendous. It was disgraceful, honestly. And I don't even like using words like that. It was disgraceful. Do you think... Well, unfortunately, because the bar is where it is, the floor, it wasn't as bad as last season against... Miami, do you No, think? he didn't completely disappear. He he at least still started taking those step back threes late. He just what's he shooting from two point range these last two games? Has I think he's made like two shots, something absurd like that, and it's gotten into his head. It's it's funny. Maxi and Harden were a combined what do we have here? Two for seven, seven two for fourteen last night inside the three point arc. Two for fourteen on two pointers. And it impacted them in two very different ways. With Maxi, he started to get sped up and started to try to attack in early offense and transition even when the, those opportunities weren't there. And Boston is so good at recovering, so good at covering up ground that he was challenging people he shouldn't have been challenging because he just wanted that easy bucket so badly. Harden, on the flip side, just stopped looking at the rim when he got inside the three-point line. And both of them were damaging. Harden's more so. And I don't know, to your point, yeah, it wasn't as bad as Miami version of James it Harden. really bad, But though. the fact that we're, like, having this debate speaks volumes. Yeah, because last year after Miami, we absolutely shredded him to pieces, and rightfully so. This one is... I don't know. I guess it just kind of makes a little more sense. You're right. It was a Ben Simmons-esque performance, but I just wonder if, you know, some of it's in his head, but some of it is at this time of his career when he's groundbound, he's so reliant on that step back, he's reliant on foul drawing, which he just does not do nearly as well, especially in the playoffs. He's never no. done that as well in the playoffs. It's just that the, the fluctuations between it's good wild. game and bad game, like it's, it's, it's a very... Big spectrum here we're talking about, and I, it's how I, you can you can be you know if you're flipping a coin you can be heads up in one one game and then just completely on the other end. I understand you're not going to get a plus version of James Harden every time. You're not going to get game one version every time. That's fine. I understand that at his age, like a minus or B plus might be tough to get. You just need to get C games instead of F games, and that fluctuation mm. is just fucking wild. And because he does so few of the little things, you know, I thought the most shocking play was when he got back in transition late in the fourth quarter, that made that steal. save, and then got the three on the <laughs> other end. It was like, holy shit, if he could just do that more consistently, maybe these F games would just be C- minus or D-plus games, and you could find ways to make an impact on the team. But when he's not useful on offense, which he was actively harmful last night, it's just... It's so goddamn frustrating. It's so, and boy, if this is 34, well, next podcast or not next, but soon podcast, but not now. It's again, it's, it's the same way we've looked at it the entire year. You don't need a plus a James Harden to win games like you got in game one, especially when Embiid is playing better. One positive from last night. Embiid looks pretty good in my opinion. Yeah, that's good. Uh, but we said all year, you need the 
16 and 10, 18 and, and 9, moving the ball, making sure the offense is on time. And that was not even fucking close. Like, it was not even close. It was a disaster. So, look, and, and I think the way you put it was right. Because I, I got to be honest, I think Maxi is kind of skating a little bit because he was horrendous. He was, was so awful. bad. But Harden has a larger control over the offense. And when the offense stinks, and that's the other thing I was struck watching last night's game. Now, that was the first home game. You know, you could say, okay, game two, they just Boston played harder, all those things. That's two games in a row that we we walked into this postseason saying, I am more confident in this playoff offense than I have ever been in uh, in recent Sixers history. Well, their offense is the reason they lost the last two nights. And yep. we're, we're back. We're right back where we need to be. It's just – it's because, again, I, I think Boston is getting much better shots on defense, but I think the Sixers are at least competing to some level. And then Joel is a big part of it because – they get a little bit scared when when they get around the rim. They drive and kick. The rotations have been okay. They have not yep. shot the ball that well from three. But I think the Sixers, for my low expectations, have been okay defensively. Yeah. And they were okay enough defensively last night. If they get the normal Harden and Maxi games, they win. <laughs> they win the freaking game. So, uh, look, I, I think... Boston threw a lot of different – they were a junkier defense than they have ever been in yep. last night's game. They they made Embiid's elbow touches really hard. They were, you know, not only denying him with his man, but bring somebody from the other wing to kind of deny him. They were helping off the marathon man by a mile, and good for him. He knocked down his threes when he got them. Jalen McDaniels, they man, they they could care less about him. And they're making James Harden more of a driver. They're forcing him yep. right and making him more of a driver. I got to be honest with you, man. He's got to get all the way to the rim, whether that's shoot or pass at the end. It's like you said, he got too passive and Maxi got way too aggressive on some of those drives. They need to both kind of meet in the middle here where, where Harden gets all the way to the rim. Like there were a couple possessions, you know, he found PJ and he found McDaniels on one where... Yep. If he manipulates the defense, gets all the way there, maybe fakes the shot, he can even leave his feet and do this, leave the feet, fake the shot, and then spray it out to the corner three. Like I think those type of shots are there, which is rare for a Boston defense. Boston usually is like, beat beat us one-on-one. -on -one. But, man, he made the wrong decision just time and again in, uh, in last night's game. That's really disappointing. I would like to emphasize, because I know a lot of people are down today, this is not game six against Miami just because... It's not the end of the Sixers season. Yeah. They, they have a yeah. chance to tie up the series uh, on Sunday. But it was really bad, and it is a massive missed opportunity. No question. When asked whether or not he was too passive in the paint, James Harden's response was, I'm pretty good on basketball instincts. I know when to score, and I know when to pass. So I'm pretty sure a lot of them was the right play. And I think he's generally right in that statement. I think he does have pretty good basketball instincts. I think by and large, especially in the regular season, he makes good decisions and good reads. Last night, I don't think he was. I don't think he was even close. Well, and, and I'll give you two. That, look, it, it's hard to focus in on one shot. I, I did focus in on it. It was the lead of my story today. I think it's like 74-72 Celtics, Sixers battle back. There's, it, It's like we're sitting there thinking like, man, there's no way. They're, they're really going to take the lead right now in this game. They get a stop. 
Embiid is calling for the ball on a trail three. Embiid had just been really good in the middle portion of that third quarter. James looks him off and says, okay, after passing up a, a couple of shots, it's my turn to go step back iso ball. And I just thought it was just a terrible read of the situation. Like, yeah. I get it. In game one, I, I'm, I'm not, like, all against James, like, going one-on-one for that step back jumper. Like, he could have made that shot. But I just thought it was a terrible you don't have it right now. This yeah. guy does. Like, get him the ball. And then wasn't that, that, that the was Jalen really Brown and one at the other end? Well, so he misses that. He misses that one, and then the Celtics get one of their two. Might have been two hundred. I don't know. Back breaking Al Horford threes in that game, and then on the next one, the ball found him again. Misses a step back. I thought it was a decent shot, and then Jalen Brown gets the end one. A nice little six zero run where James Harden is prominently involved on both ends yeah. of the ball. I thought the uh, I thought the other real key play, uh, or at least the other play that really described the, the game, was the other Al Horford back-breaking three, where Maxie doesn't come down with the defensive rebound, the Sixers don't rotate at all, Embiid is completely gassed and is out of the play, and Al Horford hits another back-breaking three. Pushes a, I think it was a four-point lead, up to seven, and felt like that was really when the game got away from them. To your there point. Was, by the way, there was like a, it was weird. They got out-hustled. But I also thought Boston just got every bounce too that, that went their way. Yeah. But that was one where they got out hustled. Like, and when I say out hustled too, you mentioned it. It's Maxi versus Smart. Well, one's a physical. You, you might not have got out hustled. Yeah. You might have just like lost the physical battle there. Sorry, keep going. Uh, but yeah, it was it was every time where it seemed like they were improbably close because I swear I have no idea how that was a single digit game for most of the night. But every time they got it to like four or five. They just lost a hustle play. They made a bad decision. They made a bad rotation. They made a bad turnover or a shot. They just didn't make the play to get them over the hump. It's just easier for Boston. Like what they do is more repeatable. It uh, it's a very frustrating game. Very frustrating game. So yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I just think <laughs> if we said that going in the series, Pardon and Maxi are going to be that bad. You're you're gonna lose, and the well, I think the frustrating thing about Maxi too is I don't his stats weren't that good in his first two games. I liked the way he was playing though. I thought he was getting pretty good shots. He was finding you know what whether it was those lefty off the dribble threes or whatever. Man, he just turned into like that was Jordan Poole shit last night. Man, just out of control drives, no hope, kind of step back jumper. It was is bad basketball from him. And look, I I still love Tyrese. He's still been a huge boon of the Sixers but yeah it's you know th- this is the highest level of basketball this is the best team he's gonna play and they are making they made him look really bad last night and he made himself look bad yeah it's fine on the one hand if I would have told you that Joel Embiid dropped 30 in his real first game back um where he looked full speed from the injury and the Sixers shot 43 percent uh from three and made 16 threes you'd probably say oh they have a pretty good chance of winning that game until you look at the Seven for thirty that the uh, starting backcourt shot. Really tough. Really, tough. I, I I think George and Yang was probably their fourth best player last night, and we've spent most of the last week saying George and Yang can't play in this series, and that really tells you something. And George had that stretch in the early fourth quarter where what did he score like eight or eight points or so, something like that. Made a three, a couple of driving layups. Probably gave up just as many on the other end, but he was your fourth best player. And I think that's really when it hit me. Like oh. If they're relying on George Niang for offense to keep them afloat, like self-created offense, I'm not sure this one's going to work out in their favor. Well, and and those self-created plays, of course, they come when Harden is the the sole yeah. star on the floor. And 
you cannot rely on James Harden to get buckets. And, you know, I am looking at Paul Reed. Paul Reed. Who also had really a my- bad game. I mean, he didn't really get to do a lot. And no, I he just- didn't. But I thought there were a couple of, of pick and roll decisions that I thought uh, defensively that I thought he were really questionable. I'm not sure his Tatum. head was 100% locked in. Well, and look, I I think we should give Boston some credit. They uh, with the Sixers switching a lot of stuff, they their slips and their ball movement out of those were just terrific for the most part. And frankly, they could have shot it a little bit better than they ultimately did. They got a lot of really good looks. They're they're very tough. And I thought on a couple of those, Paul messed up. There was definitely one where Tatum got by him. Uh, yeah, there's one where he, he easily. Yeah, he where he followed. Uh, I think it was Robert Williams. Out to the three-point line and give up a wide-open driving lane to Tatum. And look, wide like open. again, Boston, <laughs> this is a really good team they're playing. This is a better yeah. team than they were playing against last year with Miami when it was kind of Jimmy and, you know, just hope to get enough stops or whatever. Like, this is a, a more cohesive unit. Uh, Robert Williams is a roamer. is just a complete pain in the ass to deal with. He's Even if the Sixers hit a couple threes on them, I feel like he... The Celtics won that math battle with him affecting all of those shots. Yep. Uh, look, the, the Sixers shot, I think the non-Embiid Sixers were, I believe it was 16 or 17 of 41 from two. Yeah, I think it's not going to cut it. No, it's not going to cut it. And a lot of that does, like Boston has the length and athleticism to alter a lot of shots. But you've also got to make more of the ones that you had. They had, they had, they had enough clean looks where they should have had a chance. Look, and you're right. Niang played well. I thought PJ played relatively well, especially at least after the making first the... four minutes. Yeah, 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 definitely. And uh, I thought Melton was, you know, he had a couple moments where it was, eh, it was like it was a little bit of a quick transition pull, but overall, thought he played well. Yep. And you know, it's funny. Melton is the guy that I, I was thinking of when he got his hands on a lot of balls last night, and I feel like they just tipped into a Boston guy's hands every single yeah. time, and just just randomly, it was it was. Both that they got the, out hustled and outplayed, but yeah, uh, there's some bad bounces. Melton's also the kind of guy where we look at him, we're like, "Oh, great, he can shoot, he can play a little bit off the bounce, he can defend his position, he can get hands on balls." Then you look over at Boston, and it's like they've got seven of those motherfuckers. They've got seven versions of the Anthony Melton, <laughs> just more talented. And Sixers have one, and he stands out in part because he's really the only hustle two way player that they have outside of Embiid. Tough yeah, team. and look, I mean, Tough the team. way that game started too with the transition possessions, it's just like, yeah, I, the beginnings, the beginning of the first quarter and the third quarter was a disaster for these guys. They yep. just got the ball ran down their throats, and it's no, the starters were not good. Starters were they, not good. The Harden led bench unit was not good. The a lot of not good. I don't think it's over, but you know, they they have to be much much better than they were in that game. If it if that game gets played out the next two times, guess what? We will. Yep. We will have the end of the season on, you know, exit interviews on Wednesday or, or whatever. But uh, Harden's got to be better. There's no question. And it is it is a quick turnaround. Let's get to the – can we get to the positive? Because I I don't really have anything else on that game. They just – they, they got killed. Yeah. I thought Joe validated the line of thought of I needed the knock off the rust in game one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was much better. And you look at the final line, it doesn't look crazy uh, in terms of his efficiency shooting. Now, some of those, he was playing volleyball on the rim on a couple of those. So the mm-hmm. you know, the shooting numbers don't look quite as good as Ooh. I think they actually were. You a know, little like Moses Malone tribute. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 
So maybe, again, and maybe the rebounding numbers are a little bit higher. But frankly, let me, let me look at the box score right now. Just like look at all the Celtics. Maybe Did Tatum. You? Maybe Tatum. Like, like, do you think, like, I, I think Joe has an argument. Like, he could maybe even reasonably be like, I was the best player on the floor last night. Yeah. No, his, his uh, look, 30 points, 13 rebounds, nice. His defense, his rim protection has been game-changing these last two games. It is absurd how many times Brown or Tatum will drive into the lane, and if he's there, they will they will rethink their life. It's crazy how he's able to do that when his knee is barely functioning. And he certainly has a case when he is this dialed in to be as good as an impactful as any defender on the planet. It's really impressive the fact that we can see this so quickly after him returning to play. And he got back into rhythm offensively. He was he was really and you know, he lamented a little bit that he would have liked a little more touches, not so much for him to sell the score, but also to generate offense, which I think is especially true when Harden's playing the way that he was. Boston makes that real tough for him to run the offense like that. But individually he was fantastic. Defensively he was incredible. It was a real, real good performance. Real good. Which is why of, it it's couple sort of, of excellent transition blocks too. Yeah. Just like yeah. You know, look, like he's going to get beat initially, but just enough, just just enough effort to track these guys down and uh, and then just be Batman at the rim. So he he was awesome. He did look a little bit like he was out of gas, especially at the end of those totally. first and third quarter stints. Oh, I wonder yeah. a little bit whether he has the uh, conditioning to play his normal rotation, which they, you know, they change it up in game two in his first game back and then immediately went back to playing the full quarters. Not sure he's necessarily at that level yet, but outside of that, he was fantastic. He was MVP worthy. Yeah, and it just it just sucks that he didn't really have any other help. Um, look, and and I, I we said it earlier that was as junky as Boston has ever got defensively. Usually yep. they're one on one. It's it's what a weird game because you, you would expect them when this guy has the busted up knee for them to say, all right, let's see if you can actually beat us one-on-one. And they didn't do that last night. Mm-hmm. They were like, nope, this is, we're going to shift about as strong as, as possible. We're going to, you know, almost double you at the elbow. Sixers went into the post a lot because yep. the elbow was getting too hard, and then they decided. And I thought, for the most part, Joe handled those double teams pretty well. It's part of the reason they shot 16 of 37 from uh, from beyond the arc. He got a little bit selfish at points. It was a little bit understandable considering he was like looking around like, yeah, what the who, who the hell is with me right now? Uh, so and and you're right. He also got a little bit gassed as well. I am certainly concerned about what a short turnaround it is between yeah. games three and four for him specifically. Harden and Maxi. Well, they weren't that good. So whatever. <laughs> uh, so that's that's a little bit of a worry. But I, I guess that is the one big positive if you want to take one if if this becomes a closer series if we're going back to boston 2-2 i think it's probably because we saw the sign in game three even though it got overshadowed by all the other bad stuff that joe has some top level play in him somehow in this series and i don't think it's a guarantee again it's it's a very short turnaround but but i certainly think it's possible in a way that entering the series I was very skeptical. Yeah. And to your point, I don't think the series is, look, is Boston the favorite? Yes. Very heavy. But I think there's, you know, there is there a chance that Harden could catch fire again or Maxi could catch fire and they can steal a game and make the series? Of course. 
I just don't know what I'm confident in them doing outside of Joel Embiid. And, and uh, it is like you thought if you would have told me that they would have stolen game one without Joe and he'd come back and look like himself for game three, I thought I'd have a little more confidence in this team. I really did. I guess we should end it on the MVP ceremony, him getting uh, the trophy there before the game. He had Ugh, his. What, both, a wa- what a waste to play like that after that. Yeah. Unbelievable. He had both of his parents there with him. He had Luke Bamute with him. I had his son with him, brought his son up there, scooped him up, uh, was fighting back tears while he gave his speech. Just a real incredible moment for a player who, you know, I don't think there's been this connection to about uh, clearly since Iverson. It, watching him overcome what he overcame, everything from the catastrophic injuries to start his career to his brother passing back in 2014 to developing into the player he has. It's been it's been really fun to watch, and I thought that was a great way to celebrate that. I thought that was a real, like, it, it felt really good for Joel, who has gone through so much and put in so much work. I'd love to see that rewarded with a fucking deep playoff run, but he needs more help from his teammates. But it is, it is, it, I, I really do feel like it was, um, you know, something that the fans and Joe both deserved. It was, it was nice to see. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. It, to your point, it is frustrating that they didn't reward that with a better effort and we can really celebrate. It, it was a great ceremony. I think the NBA getting away from the awards at the end of the year and just presenting them. Now, Joe said he was like, you know, it, it would be nice maybe if they actually present it before the playoffs because he was like, look, I, I tried not to make it a distraction, but he's like, Maybe it was. I don't know. Um, which I think he's being a little too hard on himself uh, overall. Yeah. But I, I just think it's a great I, – like I think the NBA has that right where that's just a great moment <laughs> before a second-round playoff game. A charged crowd gets even more charged yeah. because they're chanting MVP for their guy. I would say more cool. often than not, the visiting team complains about the MVP ceremony than the, the, the team winning the award because it's usually a jolt of energy. Well, it wasn't because they got killed. Because Boston uh, it was made awesome. five shots in the span of a minute and a half and went 14 to four. <laughs> they are good. I would pick them to win the next two series if they get past the Sixers. Uh, yeah. So that's that's my general take on um, on the ceremony. The ceremony was unbelievable. Thanking Luke was was an awesome moment just because, you know, he mentioned he was like, I, I wouldn't even really be here if that wasn't for him. And he's right about that have his family here and then the moment with uh with Arthur just just great stuff uh well deserved and uh yeah too bad it got overshadowed and even just seeing him at the press conference there on uh on Wednesday up in Boston and you could just see like how much it meant to him and you know Joe is i think somebody who tries to like present like a flat stoic face and i think fails frequently at that and you could just see the accomplishment sort of beaming off of him. He even joked that, yeah, I know I always say I didn't care about the MVP, but that was just to get you guys to shut up. And you could see that like he felt like it validated all the work that he had put in. And it was great to see him rewarded for that. Uh, it is a sort of, it's just a shame that we have a down podcast because they came out flat and failed in so many different ways. None of, almost none of which was related to him. Uh, Yeah. I guess any thoughts for uh for game four here? That's only a little over twenty four hours away. Well, I think the the main adjustment is you gotta get Niang more more touches. <laughs> yes. ISO Niang. 
as a, as our our buddy John Hollinger would say, that would cause me the angst. Uh, I think there. I think Seth Partnow was the one who who brought this up originally, and it was one of the uh, controversies of last night because the tweet there was a tweet that got sent out that was like players have to play better. Joel Embiid, like that was a passive aggressive shot at guys when really David Aldridge, my colleague at the Athletic, just asked him a very general question. He was like, "Hey, at this time of year, is it more about coaching adjustments or is it more about players playing better?" And it was not throwing people under the bus. It was just, yeah, he's like, I think players have to play better. I have to play better, you know, for example, in this series. That's how he started it. But unfortunately, that snippet seemed to uh, to make the rounds, which is too bad because I, I don't think, frankly, uh, in terms of like throwing Harden under the bus, uh, no, he, he did the best teammate thing of the night where he rushed out of the locker room after the game to do his press yeah. conference while Harden only had to talk to like three people in the locker room and you know, say that he's a basketball savant or whatever he uh, he offered up. That was clearly intentional. Um, so, look, this is, to me, this is a very simple, the players have to play better. I think, look, I, I do think they can lean more into, if Boston is going to double Joe to that level, like, lean into that. Like, like start to counter off that. Get him the ball. You know, get them in rotation. If you get into the paint, great. Kick it out for open threes. You know, like, do what they do against... The Sixers, Tyrese, you in particular. Uh, but yeah, it's it to me. It's a very much play better. That's the adjustment. Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's tough. Boston has more quick decision makers, and they have quite frankly more shooters. Like it, there were so many, you know, Marcus Smart in the corner, and Marcus Smart's not a good shooter, but he at least fucking shoots it, and he'll get you know Tyrese Maxey on a pump fake closeout to blow right by or fly right by him and he'll attack off the dribble. And if that was PJ in the corner, you just know it would be a pump fake, two really slow dribbles, and then a record scratch pass out to reset the offense with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. And it's just, they're so much better at playing that drive and kick and drive and kick and move the ball game. And uh, the frustrating uh, watch. They're kind of like the team that I want the Sixers to be, not the team that the Sixers are. Ouch. Uh <laughs> We're going to replay that one if the Sixers win this <laughs> in miracle fashion. The, uh, <laughs> which I mean, look, I'll think, be happy think, to be wrong. I'm fine I with think that. Odds, odds are, I think that's going to age okay. Uh, the real winner from last night's game, last thing, is that the pool reporter, moi, did not have <laughs> to talk to Scott Foster after the game, even though he got booed off the court as hard as I've ever seen yep. a ref get booed off the court in the first half. And then in the second half, it was like, eh. Uh, no, it's not. I think the fans were like, eh, I think Harden is playing poorly. And I got to say, you know, whatever Harden's record is against Scott Foster, the, don't chuck that one up to the Zebras last yeah. night, Matt. Yep. <laughs> no, there was one spot where I thought they really screwed up, and that was on that Melton 3 at the end of the first half. But they corrected it. So, Well, they corrected it, but, all, you know, getting that ball sideline out of bounds instead of baseline might have helped Boston get that, that final three points. Yeah. If it's a bang-bang play, I think you have to err on the side of – Counting the three and then reversing it if that is the case. That's true. But, like, were there some ticky-tack fouls? Sure. Were there some possessions where, you know, players might have sold a foul and the refs bought it? Yeah. Did they get shamelessly talked into a technical foul by Grant Williams and Marcus Martin? Yeah, that one I think was a little... Although, But then again, like, Danny can't kick that ball. 
Those are automatic. I don't know. I and, like, I, I get I it. It's, it's lame it. for them to like like tattle on him, but still. and like I don't think he was trying to kick the ball in the stands, but like he wasn't just stopping the ball either. Like he was kicking it. Don't do that. Don't don't give referees an excuse to make a call. And the Sixers lost their cool at various points. But no, I would not like if if Harden played well and those calls happened, maybe I would get on the refs. But Harden played like shit, and it's not because of Scott Foster. He just played like shit. Got so nine I free throws. Have... Yeah. No. He he got away with some grifting. <laughs> Tough game. Tough game. Tough All right. game. All right, that's it. So like I said, we will follow this up now with a interview with Josh Shapiro. Uh, like I said, I think Josh is a true Sixers fan. That's why we agreed to have him on. I think he you know, I think he just wanted to come on and talk basketball, which is cool. He's free to come on whenever he wants. I do think uh, you know, with uh Here's what I'll say. Like, we don't get into, like, policy wonk here. Like, that's not what we do. That's not what we, uh, not really the right place for it. I would encourage you to go check out his policies, regardless of which side of the aisle you're on, in part because governors play such an important role. Just go search out other interviews. We brought on Josh Shapiro, Sixers fan. So with that well out of the way, here is the, uh, here is the interview. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL, Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Have you? All right, and now we are joined by Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro. Josh, thanks for jumping on with us, and uh, how you doing? What's up, guys? Great to be with you. I'm doing great. Thank you, Josh. It's great to have you on. I think I don't think we've ever had a governor on the uh, on the Sixers beat, so this is certainly a first for all of us. Uh, and 
I've noticed, you know, over the years, you know, when you were attorney general, you've been a big Sixers fan. And I've noticed, you know, whether you're liking tweets or tweeting about the Sixers, you know, you certainly clearly have been a fan of this team for a long time. So I guess our first question for you is just kind of, you know, in the Philadelphia area, how did that start when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, and by the way, guys, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm a huge fan. I love your coverage. And um, if if I miss part of a Sixers game because I'm busy doing other stuff, I was catch up on what happened by reading your analysis. So thank you for having me on. But look, for me, it it started like, you know, most fans when I was a kid. I mean, I grew up in Montgomery County, just outside Philly, um, diehard Philly sports fan. But hoops has always been my sport. And I mean, I, I was spoiled as a kid with Dr. J and Moses and um, arguably, I think, the best backcourt ever in Philly's history, Philly history. Cheeks and Tony. Um, and so to see that 1980 World Chair, 83 World Championship, um, and then obviously live through the lean years, which was pretty tough. And now to see the Sixers back where they are. I mean, I, I've just always been there, always been a fan. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, my parenting may not be um perfect, but at least the one thing I've done for my children is I've made them Sixers fans as well. So we've kind of passed it down to the next generation. So I think honestly, it's just more how I was raised, you know, the the town I grew up in and my love of sports and basketball in particular. So I guess, you know, going off of that, because I think, like Rich said, I think a lot of times we would get a politician on and, and you know, politely decline. We greatly appreciate it. That's not really a wheelhouse. I don't think that's necessarily what a lot yeah. of our listeners show, but we've known you or at least followed you throughout the years. It's clear you're a big fan. So I guess it's a, a two-part question here, because we've seen a lot of lean years throughout your lifetime and our lifetime. What was it like sort of getting through those lean years? And also, is there any like specific move or transaction or decision the organization made where you really just go, man, if that would have just made a different decision there, because I think there's an ample amount to choose from, we could I mean, have had a lot more fun. Come on, So what Derek. do you really regret? Aren't we we watching it in this series? I mean, we freaking (laughs) traded up to avoid taking Jason Tatum. I mean, that was... It wasn't great. And the next series could be Jimmy Butler. So like I said, there's a lot to choose from. Yeah. I mean, come on, go back. I mean, like the Jeff Rulin trade for Brad Doherty, we missed out on him. I mean, I like my whole life, um, we dealt with this. But I will say, I think the Sixers management now, they have their act together. They have a clear direction they're going. I'm a big Daryl Morey fan. Um, I think Josh Harris and his team, Blitz, and others have done a great job in saying we're going to spend what's necessary to put the best team on the court. Now, look, we'll find out. We'll find out if they can finally get past the second round. But I've I've seen a lot of bad decisions over the years. But now the good news is in recent years, we're making a lot of good sound decisions. I mean, hell, we got James Harden for Ben Simmons, right? That's a pretty damn good deal. So we had a lot of bad deals over the years, but we got some good ones uh, more recently. I like that you took a, a negative question and spun it into a hopeful message that is a true politician. As Kate oh. Scott would say, I think they they won that trade. I think they, they did. She, <laughs> they she, she reminds us right. a lot. Uh, so let me let me ask you because you again you've sat through all the lean years. You've you know yeah. bringing up Jeff Rulin and all those things. What did you think of Sam Hinkie and the process when it first started? Because that was obviously a very controversial thing at the time. I didn't love that. I mean, I'm just, I'm competitive as hell. So I want to win every single day. And the idea that you would sort of purposefully not try to win, I'd be honest with you guys, that did not sit well with me. Now, if Sam Hinkie were on here, he'd say, okay, 
but you're looking at the MVP of the league on your team because we were able to get that draft pick, right? And maybe Ben Simmons could have turned out differently because we had that draft pick. But, you know, if you if you go back and you look at the effect of that, we got a bunch of high draft picks, but not a lot to show for it other than Joel, right? And I'm not dissing Joel by any means, but Jaleel Okafor, Ben Simmons. I mean, we got a lot of high draft picks and we didn't do a whole lot with them. And so was it worth it? You know, you could argue because we have Joel, it was, but I would argue it wasn't particularly fair to the fans and, um, you know, not not a great thing for the city. It was certainly yeah. it was certainly tough for the fans. I don't think yeah. we did not that. Going to Joe, um, we saw a video that you posted where in the past you had played him one-on-one. <laughs> yeah. What was that like? Uh, and did he give you a pity point or two? He doesn't no. seem like the type who would, but. Joe is a, he is a great guy. He is, um, I mean, he, this may come out sort of condescending. I don't mean it that way, but he's, he's like a gentle giant. I mean, he really is his, he's so kind and uh, friendly, but by the way, not particularly into politics or, or anything like that, but um, really, I think intellectually curious about a lot of things. And so anyway, we were hanging out at a friend's house and um, he was goofing around with the kids and I was like, come on, man, let me, let me take one shot here. And um, I I was able, I was very proud. I was able to get off a jump shot. Now, granted, he was like in flip-flops and not really trying, but sure. he get off a jump shot, didn't make it. And then he turned around and um, I would argue it was an offensive foul. He kind of cleared me out, but um, it, I mean, he's so strong. He's wonderful. And he's just a great, he's a great dude. I'm so happy for him. And, and I will also say, I mean, he sacrificed a lot personally uh, to get his body and his mind in shape to be able to make sure. these runs over the last couple three seasons and put himself in a position to be the MVP and truly happy for him and the city owes him a debt of gratitude for what he's done for for all of us and and all of us fans who care so deeply about the Sixers and, and the game how did that how did that come about how did how did you get in touch with Joe so uh, you know I'm good buddies with Michael Rubin who's one of the former okay of the Sixers. So we were hanging out at Michael's house. He's got a gym there and and that's how it came about. He's got a Sixers style gym in there. Right? It's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie to you. He's he's a he's a fortunate man. He's built his good fortune for himself. He's so such a hard worker, scrappy guy and um I love Michael. He's done a lot of really good by the way on criminal justice reform. We're really grateful to him, but um that's that's how that came to be. Yeah, the the flip flops. You know, it's funny after the MVP, before the MVP press conference the other day, there were other writers there, national writers, who were like, yeah. "Is he going to wear a suit?" And Derek and I were like, "I don't think you've covered There's this no team chance, long enough." I, I think I, I think he's going to be wearing flip flops. He's yep. a sweatpants yep. guy, yeah. And his uh, practice stuff. Uh, so, where do you think? You know, you've seen a lot of Sixers basketball. Do you think where where does he rank all time in terms of the players you have watched? I mean, if you go back and think, right? So our our kind of big guys. Moses, um, Will, and and Joel. I mean, you'd have to put him ahead of Moses, and I hate saying that because I'm I'm a big Moses fan. But um, his ability to shoot that short range jump shot, and and by the way, threes now too. That the fadeaway. I mean, I don't know that anybody's done it better than than Hakeem, and and he's mastered it, and he's just as tough, um, and he's gotten much tougher over the last couple of years. So. I mean, at this point, you'd you'd have to give a slight edge to Wilt, just given the the totality of his career. But um, you got to put Joe right up there, a, a close second. Yeah, no, I remember going on a podcast with WIP way before he even played a game, 
And I remember saying, I think he can end up being better than Allen Iverson. And, you know, clearly I think Wilt is in a category of his own. But outside of that, like, look, does Joe have the longevity? Does he have maybe the impact on the franchise or the city yet? Not yet. But I think if you're talking about peak ability, uh, I think he's up there with just about anyone. I really do. I guess moving on to the series against Celtics, you know, we saw that video where you kicked a staffer out of a meeting for wearing a Celtics jersey. That was fantastic. Um, You know, but I guess just overall, what's your relationship like with this rivalry? Do you have a specific memory that comes to mind when you think of this rivalry, good or bad? You know, and and just sort of where does where does this rivalry stand in your mind? I mean, I freaking hate the Celtics. I mean, it is it is ingrained in me. If I was allowed to use the F word on your podcast, I would oh, use 100%. it. Oh, 100%. Actually, my, my father, he used to tell me, um, you know, beat LA. That's true. But fuck Boston. Yeah. That was yeah. always how I was raised. Yeah. I, I hate the Celtics. And you just, you grew up hating two teams, the Celtics and the Cowboys. And I really, I think I hate the Celtics even more. Um, I was asked the other day for my top five all-time, you know, best NBA players. And I omitted Bird. And they said, you know, Bird really should be on there. I was like, he's an effing Celtic, so I'm not putting him on there. But, I mean, look, the teams with DJ and Ainge and and Bird and Parrish and McCown, I mean, they were so damn good. They really were, and they gave us fits. Um, but when we finally were kind of able to overcome that and, and win that championship and get through Boston, um, it, was, it was so special. I mean, I, I just – I grew up knowing that – I mean, they really were the – the best in the East and we had to beat them. And when we did, it made it, it made it even better, even sweeter. Um, But I just hate them. I just like literally hate them. Yeah. I think that's a lot of people's uh, opinion on them. You know, Boston Philly is obviously a rivalry, but I I think Sixers Celtics is number one there for, for sure. Uh, Well, It's a little weird for, I think people of our generation, because a lot of it, the Sixers and Celtics weren't good at the same time. Very often Uh, you had that gap between, you know, the early 80s and then the, um, you know, KG Doc era, oddly. Uh, and there wasn't just a whole lot. Like, I think the biggest anti-Celtics thing in our generation was, well, they they didn't draft Paul Pierce. And you can't even really blame Boston for that. That was one of right. the decisions we talked about. So it was great to sort of see that rivalry, I think, renewed. And you bring up, you bring up a great point. I mean, for those of us who grew up, I think I'm older than you guys, but for those of us who grew up in the 80s when – you know, it was the Lakers, Sixers, Celtics, right? That's where that rivalry came from. And then, of course, the years after that, we started to suck and you had Boston and, <laughs> or pardon me, you had Chicago, Detroit, right? You had yeah. that, you know, that that sort of seesaw there between them. But I think if you're, you know, I'm 49. I think if you're kind of my age, a little younger, a little older, that's that's the generation that grew up hating on the Celtics a, a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, and I guess just as context, we're recording this before game three. It'll probably end up coming out on Saturday after game three. But what's your impression of how things have gone? And, and do you think they have a, a real chance here going forward? I do. I actually, and this is not the homer in me, but I, I do think they have the best chance this year to get past that second round. In part because I think what we saw in the net series is Joel's ability to understand when that double team is coming and pass out of it, right? I think that's an aspect of his game that is really improved. And then number two, he's got guys who can actually make the shots, right? He's got guys who can knock down the three in the corner, guys who can, um, you know, kick out and penetrate if need be. And so I think you saw that in the Nets series. And I think that's going to be a key to game three, four, and 
and beyond. I mean, it's going to be a, a battle this series. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes seven games. Now that I've predicted, I'm sure it won't happen. But I, I just think that we're uniquely positioned this year because of not just Joe's maturation, but um, this the supporting cast. I worried in now game one, which we won, but you, you saw us exposed a little bit on defense, right? In that Harden and Maxi really can't stop Jalen Brown and Tatum off the dribble. And we had nothing in the paint. I mean, B-Ball Paul is doing a nice job, but I mean, he is not the presence in the paint that you need to, to stop the shot. So if you remember in the first half, they got, I mean, we were like Swiss cheese in, in the lane. Having Joel back, even though I don't know that he was 100% in game two, but you could see the way he impacted the defense just by virtue of his presence in the lane. I think we're going to need more of that to kind of deal with some of the weakness we have on our perimeter defense. I think that's that's definitely the big concern. Can they can they stay in front of those guys and uh, yeah. can Joe's presence help them? But they're going to play at home tonight. I'm sure that place is going to be absolutely right. rocking because the big man's going to lift the trophy at the beginning of the game. Uh, last Sixers one for you, just because we're huge fans of of Mark Zumoff. We saw that he did a, an ad for you or whatever. How how did that come about? Where he was kind of announcing you or whatever? Because we, you know, obviously like you, we kind of grew up with Zoo and, and he announced so many games for us and, and he's been great to us over the years. Uh, Zoo is, I mean, as, as you said, we grew up with him and, and watching him call a Sixers game was like, it was art, man. I mean, it was just incredible. And, you know, whether it's hang on, we're coming in for a landing or turning garbage into gold. I mean, there's so many sayings, phrases that you kind of impact your, you know, you being a fan It impacts your way of thinking about the game he was so crisp and clear in how he and how he dissected the game and and brought it alive. Even, by the way, even during those lean years, he made it enjoyable to tune in. So I always admired the guy, and you know, sort of found out of his interest in politics, um, and just reached out to him and said, "Would you be willing to help you know film an ad for us to get us started in this campaign for governor?" And he was so gracious in his willingness to do it. And and by the way, that's a big deal for for folks who do what you all do, right? I understand that sometimes you want to stay away from politics, even though you have strong personal views. And and I get that. And the fact that he put himself out there for me was um, was really meaningful to me on a very personal level. I was sorry to see him go. Uh, you know, obviously Kate's doing a nice job in, in you know in his stead, but um, what he's doing now for Maccabi, what he's doing for younger journalists who are trying to make their their way up. He's really cool and really inspiring and, um, you know, loves Zoo. And I, I tell you what, I'd love to just watch a game with him one day. That would yeah. be really cool and just have him talk to me during the game the whole time. Just sitting on the couch would be great. It's it's so crazy just because talking to him, he's just a very easygoing conversation. But he also has that switch where, like you said, garbage into gold, coming in for a landing. And like you said, he even did that during the lean years. I, you know, I grew up, I watched him, you know, comment uh commentate some willie green 30 point games and was like wow this is you know the most amazing thing ever so right was, he made clarence weatherspoon seem cool i mean it was like exactly. you know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now he's he's awesome and um you know the, the 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 city the the team basketball is just better off because of him it's really cool look spoon gave us a tiny bit of hope there for a couple of really dark months after that that Barkley trade, uh, I will take no spoon slander. All right. Sorry about that. I'm just kidding. You're absolutely right. It's just tough era of Sixers basketball. All right. I guess we're going to pivot a little bit to politics here before we let you go. Uh, one of my 
<laughs> just a, two questions, two questions. Go ahead. I have two. Um, one of my big concerns is, you know, like a lot of people, how how much partisanship there is, uh, how polarized we are. Yeah. And social media seems like it is just exacerbating that to the nth degree. You know, the way yeah. you sort of get attention is by being extreme, pushing boundaries, getting your name out there. And when you have so many races where it feels like your biggest threat isn't a general election, it's the primary, it seems like the incentive structure has, you know, I can get frustrated at someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene. But to me, my biggest concern is the atmosphere that has made her electable. And I guess I'm looking for a little bit of optimism that we can reverse this trend because it doesn't seem like it's helping politics. Yeah. I'm concerned. Well, Derek, let me say, I think you've diagnosed two of the reasons why we have such polarization in our politics. One is social media, which feeds extremism. And by the way, I think that's true in your business as well. 100%. I mean, extremism of, of sports coverage as well. Yep. And then number two, um, you know, the redistricting, the way they yeah. built a lot of these congressional districts for 80% Democratic districts, 80% Republican districts. So you get no political reward by working with the other side. And that, that to me, those two things kind of feed the extremism. Now, why should you be optimistic? Um, and this is going to sound a little like I'm patting myself on the back. You'll forgive me. But I think why you should be optimistic is look at what we're doing here in Pennsylvania. First off, I won the governor's race with more votes than anybody in the history of Pennsylvania. I'm not saying to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that to prove a point from a, a date. You guys like data analytics? Here's some data analytics for you. I got... Um, not just a whole lot of Democrats voting for me, but a bunch of Republicans and independents. So I start out in this position with people from all different walks of life, all different parties backing me. And now as governor, um, we've been working hard to bring Republicans and Democrats together and show that there is a reward structure to not just extremism, like you were talking about before on social media, but by actually getting shit done and working together. The first bill I signed into law would um, do away with any cost for breast cancer screenings, um, genetic testing, things like that. I mean, I think you, most people would argue that's a really damn good thing that we did. Yeah. What's interesting about that politically is the bill was sponsored by um, the woman who's the Republican leader of the Senate, passed unanimously there, and then brought up for a vote by the woman who's the Democratic leader, the Speaker of the House and then signed by a Democratic governor, passed overwhelmingly. And it showed that you know our state government can work when we put aside some of that extremism and actually focus on getting shit done for people, common sense solutions to pressing problems. So um, I think you identified some of the real causes of the extremism, but don't look past the fact that you know here in Pennsylvania, there is reason to be optimistic and we are working together and we are getting meaningful things done. All right. So last one here from me uh, before we let you go. So as a sort of open-ended question, uh, first of all, what is maybe what you've accomplished that you're most proud of? And the second one is sort of like a fill in the blank of if I accomplish this, I will have considered my term a success. Yeah. I always hate those questions about, you know, what's the one thing you're most proud of or what have you. I mean, I- Good I've job, been, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, it's fair. It's a fair question. And and um, I think I've been at this maybe 107, 110 days, something like that. So- we got a ways to go, but I, sure. I think sort of what we're what we're most proud of is the fact that we've brought, you know, professionalism and decency and comity, not comedy, but comity 
um, back to our state government and that people are working together again and that we're making clear that, you know, Pennsylvania is going to be a state on the move. We're going to be aggressive. I mean, I'm competitive as hell and, you know, I, I don't like to lose and I want to beat other states. I want to bring people together and actually get big things done. And so I think just bringing a new kind of cultural change in the first you know hundred or so days has been, you know, critically important. Looking back, after God willing, you know, eight years serving as governor, um, if I can say that we've grown the economy and put a whole lot of people to work, and we're number one at a bunch of things like robotics and um, you know clean energy jobs and and uh, biotech, if I can say that we actually met our constitutional obligation to our children and fully funded our schools, if I can say that we've addressed public safety in a more meaningful, holistic way. And if I could say we defended our fundamental freedoms, um, that that I would look back and say we, you know, we we did pretty good. I I I go to work every day in our state capital. I invite you guys, maybe next time you do your podcast, you can come do it there. But I I want to Well I hear of, you have a, a basketball court put in there too, or at least a hoop put in there too. We, play we little put hoops. a hoop in at the governor's residence. Yeah. But in in my office in the Capitol, I'm sitting in my office in the governor's residence now, but in my office in the Capitol, um, there's portraits of every governor that sit above me. Um, and, you know, our first, now he wasn't called a governor then, but the first leader of the province of Pennsylvania was William Penn. Um, along that lineage is Ben Franklin. Um, and then, of course, now it's my turn. And I think every day when I look at those portraits, Derek, that, you know, we're all here only for a relatively brief period of time. And it's our job to leave it to the next governor a little bit better than the way you found it. So I guess that's a very long-winded way of saying to you, Derek, if if when my portrait goes up there, you know, God willing, a long time from now, um, and folks look at it and say, man, that guy made this place better than the way he found it, then you've accomplished something. And that's the responsibility that I've now inherited from William Penn and Ben Franklin and others. And and I'm working my ass off every single day to do just that. Sound good. Uh, I don't think I necessarily have anything else. Rich, anything else you want to wrap up with? No, it was just good. I mean, speaking of another governor, Ed Rendell used to be on uh, Eagles Post Game Live every week. You know, at least we got you at least some sports uh, commentary, Governor. That, yeah, that, that was distraction you know. from your day. No, it's great. I love it. And Ed, Ed was great at that, and and I've I've loved been on with Barkan and others talking talking Eagles too, but. Sixers are kind of my team. I love and I love basketball and and I'm really grateful you guys gave me some time to talk with you today. I'd love to love to come back as the playoffs go on when we make a deep run to the finals here, okay? Awesome. Any anytime. Thank you so much for jumping on and uh and best of luck. Thanks guys. Great to be with you. Appreciate you. Ah, mm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.